Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Welcome to the book fair. Everyone may be seated. Today we're going to go over the book Bloodbound. This is part of the Pathfinder Tales series, published by Tor Books. Pathfinder Tales are they're mostly regular books. They just happen to be set in the Pathfinder universe of Glorion. Uh, this one in particular was written by F. Wesley Schneider, which is one of the two head creators of the Pathfinder system itself. Listen, I don't want to give it away right away. We'll talk more about it later, but I was going to say, I'm glad he wrote the book. I thought he had uh, a good style, but we'll get more into that later. I want to mention right off the top of the show that uh, we were actually given review copies. We were contacted by Tor Publishing, and they sent both Christian and I a review book so that we could read it and, and review it. Uh, but we were not paid for this at all. In no way do we uh, agree to any agreement other than that they would send it to us and we would read it. So everything we say is true, and we're not like there's not someone underneath my table pointing a gun at me like, you better say good things about this book, or I swear. You're right, And we don't have like a sponsorship on the line. This was just a, a very kind act by them, and we appreciate that. And we want to thank the people at Tor Publishing, uh, Diana specifically, Diana Griffin, for uh, contacting us. Thank you very much. I also want to mention how smart Christian is. For all the things that I'm going to disagree with him today, I was going to start this episode with, you know, good morning class, you may be seated. Well, you know, today we're doing a special episode, and Christian's like, no, no, no. Listen, we're like a... You're cutting stuff. out that moment of genius, that impromptu moment of genius. Yes, I am. Uh, <sighs> he's like, hey, we're kind of a theme of like a school and all that. What do you have at school? Book fairs. Hello, this is a book fair. Props to Christian. So in case most of you probably haven't read the book, we're going to be talking a lot about the plot of the book. There's a whole lot of these books. If we spoil too much and you're not interested in reading this one, there is a slew of Pathfinder tales. Yes, they have a, a list here at the beginning of the of the book, and it's a full page just of titles. I just want to say, even if you haven't read one of these books and you're not much of a reader and you're not much interested in reading a fantasy novel... I would pick one of these up in a setting that you're planning on using if you're running it in the Glorion universe, because the main thing that I think this book is great for is just familiarizing yourself with the culture of whatever area the book is written in. Definitely. This spe this specific book is written in Ustalov, which is like the weird vampire ghost area of Glorion, and it was a really cool look into the culture there, how people react to being in such a world, how they feel about it, you know, the way they describe things. If you read if you read one of these books, your way of describing things in-game will probably go up greatly. I agree. You know, something here that was really interesting to me was when they were talking about the history of the land, like the ancient history, how at one time some undead king took over and, and ruled the land of Ustalov, and then eventually it was put down, but... Since it had been in the land so long, the land is permanently changed and influenced by the undead that were there. I think I think they call them the Whispering Tyrant. There may be even like an adventure yes. path mm -hmm. about that, isn't there? Totally, yeah. I he's, thought, he's a really big factor. I thought that was such a cool background. In my world that I made, I came up with an ancient history. Because, you know, every place needs to have an ancient history. Unless you're starting your players at the beginning of time of your custom world. Uh but I had like an ancient history, which was a similar thing where, again, I guess all stories have been told before. You know, uh, some guy took power and Minotaurs just walked across the earth destroying everything and eventually they were defeated. And, it, and I just really like that's a good way to, to form your world. You're talking about grabbing influence from how to describe things. It's definitely a, I think it's a good thing to do is create a cool ancient history. And I think theirs is really neat. It's very unique 
and outside of it being, you know, a culture guide to a place, it's just a pretty, it's a very well-written high fantasy book. It's a high fantasy adventure. Um, don't look at it as, like, actually, like, a game, like, the script of a game that someone ran at some point. This is actually right. a book, actually a story. Yeah, that would be, that would be tough to see if you couldn't, like, try to reproduce this in your, with your players. <laughs> um, but just one last warning, spoiler warning, we're gonna totally talk about all stuff about this book, so... If you're going to read it, come back to us after, all right? Otherwise, let's get into it. So let's get into the characters of the story. Right on the back of the book in the little synopsis you read, uh, the two main ones are Larsa and Jaden. And we're going to start talking about Larsa. Is that how you said her name? I call her Jadane. I said Jaden. Okay, well, we'll stick with like Jaden. Smith, I guess. Um, <laughs> it flows a little bit. I can't better, wait to see how many names that both of us pronounce differently. Oh, I, I, I we've... We've gone over this many times. I can't pronounce anything. I like I read things and I've never read it before. I'll be like, "Run like the wind." And that's a Simpsons joke, so I'm not original for that. Well, listen, when like whenever you read something, you don't hear it out loud. It always changes. When I was younger, I used to play a game called StarCraft, and I still play it now. But uh, there's a mode called Melee. At least that's what I thought it was called. Of course, everyone knows that's Melee. But I was like, Melee. I love Melee mode. I could play against my friends. Let's play Melee. <laughs> Let, let's see if we got this word correct. Larsa is a dampier. Do you, do, is that how you pronounce it? Dampier? Dampire. But you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> Dam- actually, dampire sounds a lot more like vampire, so that probably makes a lot more sense. But there's no sense. E at so the sh- end. Listen, guys, welcome True. to our per, uh, our uh, phonics <laughs> episode. We'll be pronouncing a bunch of words for you. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> but Larsa um, is a dampier. She is an agent of the royal spy master of Ustalov, which... She herself is hunting down stray vampires. There's, like, a vampire hierarchy, and there's, like, noble, important vampires that work behind the scenes and kind of control parts of the government, and then sometimes their thralls escape, and they start just killing people indiscriminately, and Larsa's job is to go find them and put them down. Not a prestigious job. Not at all. Her father is Raviscus. Is that how you said it? Ravascus, Ravascus, either way. A vampire traitor, and her grandfather is a vampire bigwig. He's the guy giving her orders and everyone else. Yeah, I didn't look up the exact specifics of how Ustalov works after this, but basically there is a vampire backdoor into politics, underground, that kind of controls a lot of stuff, and she's related to a lot of them. Um, Kayla's going to go into how he feels about the character, but I'm going to say, I think Larsa is an okay character, it's just that she is basically every damn peer, edgy PC ever, <laughs> just with slightly less edge to make her bearable. <laughs> you know, she... <laughs> like, she doesn't just... Usually it's, I completely hate my own kind, I just want to kill them. This is, I have to kill my own kind, I'm kind of okay with them, but I have a past with them that makes me dislike specific ones. Um, I think she was a well-written character, She's very, um, she's not very charismatic, and that's one of the things I liked about her throughout the whole book. She stuck to that. She's not the most charismatic person, but she's very, she's very results-oriented. She just likes to get stuff done. Definitely. And she's usually the stuff getting stuff done in the story. Mm-hmm. As opposed to you, she was actually my favorite character. I appreciated that she wasn't, like, they were like, she's a girl, so we have to add all this ladiness to her and, and, and make her weak. Like, have you ever seen Berserk? Casca, who I still like her as a character. They do a lot of things like she's a girl and she's in a man's world. Like, okay, all right, okay. Uh, but they didn't try to like overcompensate it by pretending let's not mention any trait that a female has and we'll just describe everything as if she was a man, except we'll use pronouns like her and she. 
You know what I mean? Like, that's another terrible way of writing. This is how a female character, in my opinion, should be done. Who she was was completely identified by both her gender, but, like, her past. It was all completely believable. But I loved her. I uh, When I play characters sometimes, maybe maybe you can make fun of me as the dark-haired emo kid in the corner, but I like to pay, <laughs> play characters like this. Sarcastic, uh, clear-cut, not, not trying to work with, let me try to put everything in a correct polite tone of voice. Oh, am I talking to a superior? Make sure I'm speaking correctly. No, she said it as it was when she needed to speak correctly. If she was talking to somebody who was her better... And she's like, well, I, she was smart enough not to piss him off, even though I'm sure in her heart, she didn't heart of hearts, she didn't want to keep talking to him as a superior. Uh, and then constantly, as she was going through, she was traveling people who she definitely saw as underneath her, but she had like development as she kind of learned to see them as her equal. I liked her a lot, yeah. a lot. I don't want to say she herself was edgy, but looking like taking a step away from the story and actually looking at her backstory, she's kind of like. She, you can look at it as a stereotypically edgy thing. There's a lot of things in the book where if I take a step back, I'm like, it's presented really well, but this is kind of like an edgy, stereotypical PC kind of thing. I, I think it's presented well enough that it's not like I was like, oh, I can't believe I hate Larsa so much. Like, I still think she was a good character, but that's my honest opinion about right. her. Let's talk about Jadeane, the other one you talked about. Uh, she's an acolyte of Phrasma, and boy, I... I liked. I'm. I am so glad that F. Wesley Schneider presents Phrasma as such a confusing religion, as everyone who plays the game finds a true neutral deity, because <laughs> no one knows what Phrasma is about in this book. Right. If you are looking for answers on how Phrasma were, do not look into this book. She was found to be faltering by Inquisitor Mart Hollis. How did you say that one? That's. Just, I'm not going to try. And was slowly excommunicated by her church, and she's kind to a fault. I was very much interested to see how they dealt with a cleric, not a cleric, uh, as it were, but the clergy in dealing with a church like that, especially in such a, a dark world. It was very interesting to see that it wasn't all like, sometimes I, I even I've been guilty of this. Like if my players need healing, they go to a church and there's a very default. This is what the clergy do. They speak like this and they're very kind and try to be wise, like a kind father. And then they heal you and you, you give a little donation. Like they, they really explored it well. And that's definitely, if you want to read this book to try to find out maybe how you can try to make your your um, churches a little more realistic, I think it's definitely good for that. As for J. Dane herself, I I wish there was a little bit more of a development of her character. She didn't seem to change too much until, like, the very, very end of the book. And when I say very end, I mean, like, the last couple pages. <laughs> she was constantly struggling with the same thing without making too much progress. Whereas, like, maybe not even halfway through the book when she's dealing with all the crap from her religion, I would be kind of like, you know what? I'm a done with this, all right? At least I'm done with this specific church. I'll find someone else who's not crazy pants. And then she finds out the only other people she does interact with who are people of Phrasma are even crazier pants. I'd be like, I'm done with this. <laughs> Let's find a someone else. But I guess he couldn't do that because if the author did that, she'd lose all her powers. I agree with that almost completely. She struggles with that same problem with her face for the entire book and doesn't, like, she doesn't adapt to it until, like you said, like, the last two pages. Mm -hmm. She actually deals with her own problems. Um, but otherwise, I thought I thought she was a good character. Some people are probably looking at this and are like, oh, two female main characters. Ugh. It's probably just put in there because they wanted to. Um, I never felt that way Neither about the book. Uh, they, they're both just legitimate characters that happen to be women. Yeah. So if you're worried about them just being written, like, new Ghostbusters or women just because they wanted women main cast, it's not like that. I definitely agree. It was... 
I had no thoughts at all at that at all. It was just I was reading there was these with the characters. And I'd actually like a lot having that uh, kind of back and forth that having uh, two women can provide. Definitely, I think a lot of people enjoy watching stories in the Batman series that have Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy together. Like, there's just a fun scene, like, a night out with the girls and seeing them uh, do things differently. It was just cool. I liked that. It was enjoyable. But I will say that even though, like, it, didn't, it took till the end of the book for her to develop... There's definitely a lot of potential there. The things that they were talking about were worth investigating and talking about and learning and getting over the different uh, radical views of a religion. That was cool. I just I don't think he did enough with it. He didn't explore it or have the development happen fast enough, in my humble opinion. But they were still good concepts to think about. One of the next main characters, he comes in partway into the book. His name's Tashan. He is a member of the Pathfinder Order, and he is from Osiria, which is kind of like an Egyptian Arabian Nights kind of place. Um, and I personally thought that he was... Uh, he was my favorite character, and I think he was the one that the reader was supposed to, like, empathize with the most, because he's an outsider to Ustalav, and he's, like, you said, like, when they're explaining the really interesting history that you knew nothing about, they were explaining it to Tashan, who knew nothing about it. So, like, in those parts of the books, like, I was like, I really identify mostly with Tashan because he's an outsider to this place, just like I am. And that certainly had to be what the author was thinking about when he was writing Tashan. Did not work for me. I thought he was my least favorite character. I didn't like him, like, uh, at all. And this isn't like, I don't like how he's he's a trope or whatever. I just didn't like him and his personality. And only very few moments where he like helped the party and was like their only hope of escape or something really did anything to help me deal with the fact that he was in this book his his death was supposed to be a big moment and for me it was like it, it was finally, thank it was you. very unexpected he was just like oh and he's dead he got set on fire again and now he's dead <laughs> and listen let me tell you i was very excited to see that this author um mr schneider was not pulling any punches when he, when one of my favorite moments of the whole book was when Larsa had her teeth pulled out, just her uh, canines. her canines. I thought that was so cool. It wasn't like right before it happened, somebody busted and stopped it. No, it um happened by this old creepy terrible guy. It was the worst situation. You like I felt in her situation, and I felt like this was the worst thing that could possibly be happening at this moment in existence. And he let it just play out. I respect the author for doing things like that. And like Deshaun just dies. It just. <laughs> happens fireball suck man like i was trying to think of like back guano man back guano i try to think of like listen hey listen <laughs> with the excess of back guano in this world and ustalov there must be a lot of fireballs i feel, I feel like him being set on fire with symbolism of come some kind that i just didn't pick up on like that had to have been a motif or some hmm. or maybe i don't know maybe he just has a penchant for being set on fire but I just realized, like, we didn't describe his personality, and I would say that's because he doesn't have, like, an overt, really specific personality. He's kind of like an mm -hmm. everyman. He's very nice, but he's a little bit on the lazy side. Um, one of the reasons mm -hmm. I like him is that when he demonstrates stuff that he knows, or stuff that the, the items that he has, there's always a reason for it. It's not just Jaden's nice because Jaden's nice. Tashan knows about... Um, the cloth that Jaden's wearing in the scene where she's wearing the men's clothes because his father's a tailor, so he happens to know about that. Right, when they're right. talking about something that's spiritual, he knows about it because his mother was um, some sort of spiritual hierarchy high up in Osiria. Uh, when they're talking about swords, he knows about sword because his sword is actually not a straight sword. It's supposed to be a gnopish, which is like a curved sword at the end, but it's broken. Like, kind of like a scimitar? 
kind of, it's like straight, and then at the end it gets like this weird curve. It's meant for like tripping people. Oh, oh, like the, like the the iron knuckles have in Zelda. Uh, kind of, yeah. If you ever played Twilight Princess. Um, and that's why I liked his... Let me just throw in like a 10-year-old reference there <laughs> for you guys. Let me see if you guys catch that one. And that's why I liked his character. Nothing was just there because that's how Tarshan is. Everything in Tarshan's story had a reason for it. And that reason was revealed for something from his backstory. You know, I didn't pick up on that. You're right. There wasn't just like, exposition, here's his backstory, it'll never come up again. You're right, there was always moments where it did come into handy. And there was a few things where he kind of like redeemed himself. Not that he had anything to redeem himself from. Redeem himself in my eyes, I mean just as a character who, why am I in the story? He proved it a couple times. But honestly, like I didn't like that bland personality. It's the same reason when I was tricked to go see Twilight with a... guy. Listen, I was tricked <laughs> to go see Twilight, not only to see Twilight, but with a preteen. Listen, a preteen girl, that was just like, they got me good. But anyway, uh, I, the reason I didn't like it was because I thought that main character was an empty pair of pants for the viewer to wear. Tashan was kind of that. Ooh, yeah. Since he yeah. wasn't a main character, he wasn't really the, like, I want you to perfectly put yourself in this position and you can experience the story in this. But like you said, he's the outsider, like we will, we are. And he's the guy from a Pathfinder society, which is essentially what everyone rolls as when you play Pathfinder. Whether or not you're with the official Pathfinder society, you're a questing adventurer most of the time. So definitely the author kind of, I think, probably put him in there for that reason you said, to have us identify with somebody. But for some reason for me, I guess you know what it was? I had already so identified with Larsa Mm -hmm. that I didn't need to identify with anyone else. I really liked Larsa's attitude towards everything. And I was learning with her the rules of uh, the rules of the world. I shouldn't say with her. I was learning the rules of the world in the book. So more and more, I, I felt like uh, not an outsider, but an insider. I mean, Tashan definitely got the short end of the stick. Don't get me wrong. He gets like the least amount of screen time and the least amount of exposition. And you know, let's move on to the next guy, who I know I say incorrectly. How would you say his name? Considine. That's probably how it is. I constantly would read in my mind, no matter what I looked at, no matter the fact that there isn't a T in there, uh, Constadine. Yeah, no, no, there's no no reason you would ever... (laughs) And I'll tell you why that is. There's a lot of wordplay that uh, the author uses in his story. I don't know if you caught up on that. So, like, uh, Constadine... Or how you say his name? Constadine. That's how I would say it, but I'm an idiot. It's spelled very similar to Constantine. With a D, Uh, though. Right, with a D. And in, in many ways, he kind of reflects of Constantine the Great, the, the Roman emperor, some of his more evil tendencies and things like that. And, and there's some parallels you can draw with that. So that was constantly how I pronounced his name in my head, no matter what uh, I knew was actually wrong. <laughs> uh, but he's a vampire friend of Larsa. And let's use friend. Let's put some quotations on that friend. Let's call him a friend, all right? Uh, because he is he's vain and he is indifferent. He is under the command of the grandfather, as everyone called him, but the, the, the main head honcho vampire has like almost ostracized and put him into exile, where he has to live among the humans, which is looked down upon. Ugh, I have to live. It's like living among the sheep to them. This their food. He's like, you have to live among them. And he makes the best of it. He's certainly treated well as far as human standards goes. He has a lot of great things in his home, and he lives in, in luxury, and it's very lush. But to him, it's just like the worst uh, sentence that he had to be given. But he ends up getting a new orders to follow and track and make sure uh, what Lars is doing is on the up and up, and things go well for the vampire families. And he's like, 
he's like this pretty boy and he shows up and he's all haughty and he kind of insults people. That's his character. Mm-hmm. He shows up and he's, although he's usually helping in some capacity, he's talking down he, to everybody. He'll insult you with a smile. Exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. Um, of course, there's conflicts between him and Jaden's faith and all this stuff. What, me? I would never be in conflict with Jaden. <laughs> if she wants to serve some meaningless god, I'm not going to get in her way. <laughs> That's the kind of way he would say things. I think his character was fine until the end. There's a plot development that I think me and Caleb are going to talk about because it was really weird. But um, I think his character was fine, but he was a plot tool vampires are severely overpowered in game in the Pathfinder universe. They're super powerful. They're basically unkillable uh, except with very specific measures and they use it at some point. Caleb mentioned that they got captured. Uh, Everyone gets captured. Larsa gets her teeth ripped out. But Considine didn't get captured. And they are in the middle of a Farazmin, a city that is specifically known for zealous people, the Farazmin faith, that are absolutely crazy. Like, neutral evil Farazma worshippers hate the undead. Yeah, undead is, that's all day long, don't like undead, that's what we do. We just sit here and hate undead. And then one, literally, one vampire, Considine, shows up in the heart of their capital, in the middle <laughs> of a building filled with inquisitors trained to kill undead, and he just cleaves through all all of them. He comes, yeah, yeah. he breaks them out of prison. It, it was like a DMPC moment. It was my least favorite. I, we probably shouldn't go through this tricks. It was like my least favorite part of the story. I'm going to rag on it and sound like I hated the whole story. But this specific part, <laughs> just uh, one vampire, the entire order of Phrasmin Inquisitors can't deal with one vampire who just murders all of them indiscriminately. I strongly disagree. I see where you're coming from, but that was one of my favorite moments in the book. I was like, yes, that's it. Just, no more just laying down and taking it. You show them. You want to deal with an undead? Fine. Here's an undead. I doubt those guys have really come across many undead. They have that little place built where it's like, this is where you put vampires. I bet they find one once a year. And there's the, the guy had, The guy had a string of vampire teeth that he had taken yeah, from vampires. Had, they're all, like, stragglers. Like, people Larsa would have to hunt it. He didn't have to fight any real, like, full-blooded vampires. Or especially people of the royal f- vampire family. Constantine constantly calls Larsa his sister. Calls grand- uh, the the main um, vampire grandfather. Constantine is one of the powerful. Oh, oh, the only reason oh, hang on, he is- hang on. Okay, so he's one of the powerful. How about two chapters later, where... Allison's butler stabs him in the chest with a plank of wood. One but one but he cleaves through the entire ranks of inquisitor Erasmus inquisitors and one butler with a piece of wood catches gets the best of them. Listen, he was surprised then. He was on the attack. He was surprising the Inquisitors. They didn't expect in the middle of, like you were saying, in the heart of our place. No vampires going to show up. Oh, what's this? Vampire crushing everybody. I liked it. I loved it. You're wrong. You're never right. <laughs> So I'm, I'm kicking you off. The rest of the show is just Caleb time. <laughs> Go on how you feel about Constantine. Because like I said, I, I liked his character. I thought his character right. was good until the end with that weird plot development. Um, but his use in the plot, I felt like he was a plot tool. Uh, he is a very, very, very close second for my favorite character right next to Larsa. His ability to manipulate and stay true to his character was cool. He didn't like... There, I know we complained about Jaden not having enough character development, but I didn't want him to develop... I felt like he was more of like that, maybe not, I don't want to go as far to call him a set piece, but I needed him to just be a character constant to help other people develop. You need certain constants in a story. A Constantine. And, 
Oh, that's the end of the podcast. You can't be funnier than that. That was clever. <laughs> and it was very refreshing not to have that redeemable moment at the end to show that he's really not that bad of a guy. In the very, very, very end where he really makes his last debut in the, in the, in the picture, I almost said, in the book, he gets a chance to save the main character and he bargains for it. He goes, I'm not going to do this. It's, why should I do it? I've got no motivation. And then J. Dane gives him motivation. He's like, fine. And he almost like sh- shrugs and begrudgingly saves her. That was exactly what I wanted Constantine to be. I'm very happy they kept with that. And he was a monster. And what's more, he was a likable one at that. And I very much enjoyed his character. Now let's get to the thing that you, you mentioned a couple times. The part that you and I thought was interesting. There was a relationship between him and... Tashan. And I felt that was a little forced, if not, like, irrelevant. It was, Oh, it was entirely irrelevant. It, it was, like, really... I don't want to say it was awkward. It was just, like, out of nowhere, Tashan's like... they. This is when I mentioned that Constantine gets stabbed in the chest with a piece of wood. And he's paralyzed. He can't move when that happens. He's basically been staked. He's not dead, mm-hmm. but he can't do anything. And they're like, oh, what do we do with him? Do we just drag him to the sunlight? And Tashan's like, no, I love him. And, like, right. it, like reading that, you're like, really? I guess that explains a little bit, but it really doesn't change. It sounds like you must have missed something, Christian, because actually earlier than that, they mentioned their relationship. They do? Yeah, when he comes out of the hookah. Which, when I saw the hookah, by the way, I immediately, th- I saw hookah, I'm like, like they have a hookah in two different scenes, and Constantine is not going to be a part of this. <laughs> I didn't I didn't guess that he was going to be missed inside the hookah, but I knew that somehow it was going to be involved with Constantine. My original thought was that he was like a, ser- a servant of him or something. They mentioned a little bit about, you know how he has, all vampires have the ability to enthrall somebody? Right. I think it's essentially the dominate person spell. Yeah, yeah, Flavored. Yeah. And... They mentioned how at first Taishan had to be dominated person, but then after that, they saw eye to eye and they started to have a relationship. That was kind of mentioned during the hookah scene, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, later on to the point where Taishan finally says, I love him. Uh, but yeah, the reason I'm saying it's like irrelevant, like I didn't get how this is. It was confusing to me because I was confused. Is, does that mean this is still like lingering parts of the domination yeah he's still called a master or, in that same scene which is kind of weird if you're in love with someone yeah. you typically don't call the master unless it's like some you know bdsm thing right 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 not in broad daylight um, <laughs> definitely definitely um unless you're in san francisco <laughs> so it, yeah so that was confusing to me and it didn't go anywhere it didn't really like prove a point or, or show something the most that happened was when tashan when constantine came across tashan's burnt corpse he took it away I, and, and I there didn't was, get what was the point of there it. There was chances to use it, um, and that's why I was going to like, they introduced that and then they don't use it, and there was chances to use the relationship. Um, Kassadin was paralyzed when Tashan got killed, so he had no idea that he was killed. Jaden got captured by the guy that Jaden knew had Tashan killed, or was with the woman that actually killed Tashan, and she had him captured and Kassadin was just sitting there because he wasn't allowed to do anything. She could have just said... Kassadin, this woman killed Tashan, and he probably would have murdered her right there, because he didn't know. He was like, the right. man you you love was killed by this woman, and he probably would have freaked out, killed her, and then freed Jaden, but or, he, she didn't say or anything. It showed, or it could have showed that, like, how, how very far gone he is. He could have been like, instead of killing her, continued to go on with his charade, because, you know, he still wanted to be manipulative, and he still wanted to survive, because he cares so much more about himself over others. That even this pain he would get over because he's so far gone. Either way, you could have proved something about his character. 
But it was it was just never used. It was introduced, and then it kind of explained a little bit, but it just had no impact on the story, I felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the author is gay, he mentions uh, in his introduction or in the bio or whatever. And I wonder if he was trying to save a, a point, and then it just somehow got lost in the edits. Because he mentions in the acknowledgement, thanks to all the people who uh, helped him revise it and made it just a better story. So I wonder if just through the revisions, whatever he was trying to say uh, just got lost. It's possible. I was wondering the same thing. Uh, I know she wasn't a main character, but I say I actually loved that dark one. Um, uh, what do they call them? Underf- the Underfolk? It's, no, no, she wasn't an Underfolk. I think she was something different. Um, it's called an Old Daphine? Uh-huh, Erdenhafen. Erdefhan. It's only a CR3 creature. <laughs> Fanged humanoid has transparent skin, revealing the vivid colors of internal organs and ivory bones inside its body. Okay, so I was wrong. They are not dark ones. I read the whole thing as if she was an, a dark folk. No, she wears clothing to cover her skin because her skin's completely transparent. Gotcha. Well, I liked her a lot, and I really liked how they, like, how um, they is written by one guy, amazingly. 450 pages. Uh, how many chapters? 50 chapters? 51? 50, yeah, 51 chapters. Um, which, by the way, they were very short chapters, very easy to consume, and it made you go on to the next one, because it was like, oh, the next one's gonna be a couple pages. He did that cool little thing, it's like, I gotta give her some sort of characteristic, just randomly, it's it's not gonna be super charismatic or about her character, but just something to identify her, and she had all that jangling jewelry. And I liked it, it was just something cool about her. We talked about in character uh, creation, sometimes just give your, your character something interesting about him. He doesn't drink alcohol, he only drinks apple juice, or or whatever it is, he, he does a certain drug. This is interesting little, just a little bit you put into that character. Yeah, because there was obviously more to her than what we saw in the story, and like it wasn't like someone they could delve into into the story. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be appropriate, but you got the feeling that she wasn't just this thrall that was there. She actually had her own character. Definitely, yeah. At first, you're very like, what is this? She seems too much to be just a thrall. She's leading. She's a leader of thralls, but she's not a vampire. This is weird. And it was cool, yeah. I liked her a lot. And I like the, and you just learned briefly about her, how she, towards the end of her life, uh, when Jane Yang killed her, that she was going to get the powers because she lived in the dark. She lived underground. What does she care about the weakness of a vampire to the sun? She'll never see it. So I thought that was neat. And I actually liked her as a villain a lot. Now I want to talk about the author's ability to communicate without just shoving exposition down your throat. The entire first chapter teaches us everything we need to know about the basics of this world and this scenario we are put into in just one simple chapter. She is, uh, Jadane is, is hunting down what her job is. She's hunting down a, a vampire thrall who has like some vampire powers but is not pure blood. And just through, I'm going to mention just a couple little quotes from the book and I'll tell you what you learn from it. So she was hunting it and the vampire lady was tricking a guy into thinking that they're about he's about to get lucky but instead she got lucky greedy thing she was more chewing than drinking obviously not the sort of stock anyone taught manners that showed larsa had knowledge of the vampires the struggling in her grip was weakening the man gradually accepted a warm lethargic futility the best part so now we know she's got knowledge of vampires she must have some sort of vampiric blood because she's fed before she leapt up one of the alley's crumbling tenement walls an elementary trick this showed she had done this for a while, that Larsa maybe even did it herself when she was young. An elementary trick she's been hunting for a while. This is a simple trick she's seen before. So now we know she's done this job for a while. My sword was between us, its hilt wrapped up with the holy icon of Sarenrae, goddess of the sun. 
She skidded and reeled, expecting the symbol to flare with divine light. I brandished the talisman as though I had faith in it. This shows that she did not. She's not a person of faith. She was using an icon to her advantage, but she was not a person of faith, which definitely we learned about her. A stroke across her stomach killed the noise, the gash deep enough to make her gush blood that wasn't her own. Now we know vampires don't don't have blood, don't have a circulatory system. The blood that was coming out was from her stomach, from all the sucking she did. Larsa toyed with her prey to make her angry and reckless. Should she have done this before? She had hunted before. She knows different techniques. She knew how to take down this thing by making it reckless. And I'm not going to go through a bunch of other quotes, but we learn a bunch of things. We learn about vampires, how they don't bleed, that there's a treaty and some potential rebellion or something happening, that silver hurts them, they're scared of light, sun turns into ashes. True vampires are harder to kill than half-breeds. Wooden stake paralyzes. To kill them, you have to decapitate them or set them in front of the sun, and they'll eventually heal if you don't finish them off. Larsa, we learned that she needs to feed still. She is something about her has the vampiric blood that she has to feed. It isn't just a choice. And that she works for some higher organization. We learned this all in chapter one without that stuff being thrown down at you. Just all like in those sentences I illustrated earlier just happened to, oh, okay, this must be part of her. I thought that was very elegant the way that he did that. It was, and we mentioned that. It's a very well-written book. A lot of the sentences are written really like that. Like everything's in very much detail and it has a very nice description to it. And I think... I really like that. I think it's really good. I do think it goes overboard sometimes. Um, sometimes I think it's okay to just say, like, they swung the sword and they hit them with it. You know, not just <laughs> they revisiting their training from earlier years. They swung their sword in such an arc in a way that the I sun leaned off of it. And it, and I had it the bit, same problem. It bit into the freshly polished leather, letting off a scent of, like, sometimes I think it's okay to just say something is nothing, not everything needs to be explained in such detail like for instance in um lord of the rings uh i know that there's a lot of flack because they is it lord of the rings or game of thrones someone writes a lot about eating there'll be like pages and pages of descriptions of uh-huh. someone eating food and how the there's a grand feast laid behind, um about them i forget if it's great game of thrones or um J.R.R. tokens both lord just absolute huge tomes <laughs> Yeah, I um, I completely agree with you, and I know exactly what you're thinking of. When Jadane is described how she's fighting, the way the author justifies her ability to fight is that every move she makes is part of some ceremonial ritual. Like, we do this to to open up the stomach of a person when we remove their organs for burial. We do This is called the X technique, and we use this to remove the eyes during cremation. Whatever the heck it is. I'm with you the whole way. I was like, you don't need to prove it to me, and the way you're proving it to me is just I'm not buying it. Just uh, like you said. Oh, that's when I liked happen. it, though. Oh, that's when you liked yeah, it. Yeah, I because I hated it. I was like, I why does like Jaden know how to fight? Oh, because the Farazin faith teaches them how to use daggers. That's fine if they did. If it was like mentioned once every time she swung her blade, it was that for chapters and chapters. I mean, she only swung it like three times. Didn't like it. <laughs> You're wrong. I'm right. <laughs> As usual. The, the author also, he did a ton of wordplay, like we talk about with Considine, Constantine. There's a person that Larsa gets some orders from, Diaden, which sounds a lot like Diadem. It's only a, like a, a few letter replacements away, which is a crown. And he's sort of like a, he's part of a royal advisor. So that's like a, just a wordplay on the guy. Uh, she goes to a place uh, called Thornley Glen. Thornley is the last name of the people that live there, which sounds like throne and sounds like thorny. 
and it sounds like throne because it's supposed to be a rich family but when they go there the whole place is ransacked and they have just a shadow of the fort themselves which is where you get kind of the, the thorny area so he did things like that throughout the entire book did and he? i really really appreciate it yeah I, I i have to say this like when reviewing a book i should have mentioned this first i am terrible at picking out um <laughs> any kind of like symbolism or wordplay or, or motifs. Like, if I'm watching a TV show or a movie, I'm great at it. I'm like, oh, they're using this color on in this scene to represent, right, like, right. this. And I'm, I'm really good at picking up. But when I read a book, I'm like, it's all just facts. It's all laid out in front of me. It's, <laughs> it's one logical sentence to the next, and nothing is deeper than it's written. Right, right. So there's probably a lot of symbolism that I missed out on. Like, notably, like Definitely. I said, I feel like Tashawn being set on fire every time he fights is some kind of symbolism. Yeah, there must be some mimicry there where the person he loves can't see light and fire makes light. Yeah, I'm sure if we delve deep into it. But who has time for that? <laughs> but yeah, I really appreciate the way the author wrote in. Like I told you about in the beginning of the book is a, is a bunch of the other um, Pathfinder tales published by Tor Books. And I don't see him as an author of any other one. And I'm like, I'll wait till he publishes another one before I take a chance. Because I really, really enjoy his writing style. A lot, and he's the guy, like you said, who was he was co-creator of Pathfinder. So it was very interesting to read, uh, see how well spoken he was, and uh, it wasn't just some neckbeard creating Pathfinder as everyone <laughs> might think with their stupid stereotypes. Guess what? Wrong, incorrect. He's a smart guy, and I really appreciate his writing style. Now that we've praised this guy. Um, well, why don't we just summarize the plot and 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 tell everybody what happened? So it starts with Larsa in Ustalov and Jaden in Ustalov, and she's getting flack because she failed to do an exorcism. Uh, so her faith is mad at her at the moment. They're thinking that she's lacking. And, and it's not really like her faith is, is looking back at her, because as we see later on with the leader of that division of that parish, as it were, uh, wasn't really all upset with her. It's this one lady that just has it out for her, this, uh, what do they call her? Inquisitor Mard Hollis. Inquisitor. Oh, hated her. The, the author did a good job making me not like her. Uh, then Larsa is investigating the attack on Thornley Glen, where she finds that there was a head... There was a bunch of vampires in there that she dispatched, or at least scared away, and there was the head of someone who was, um, I think, an underling of Diaden? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was obviously a declaration of, like, violence or war against the peep vampires here. Most likely from, as they figured out eventually, Ravascus, which is Larsa's father. The the way, when we called, when we called Considine um, exile, this guy is like, he had to run away because he's now enemy of the state. So, uh, inside of Thornley Glen, Larsa finds a portrait of the family there, and one of the members is almost identical looking to her. It looks like there is a familial resemblance. Yeah, definitely. In, she she almost thought it was her. She just saw a few differences, and she A, saw a few differences, and B, didn't remember ever posing for that picture. <laughs> so she, there was one survivor of this attack, and that person was currently at, at the asylum that Jaden is actually at right now. After she failed the exorcism, she stayed there because she couldn't go back to her church or she didn't feel like she could so she just kind of stayed there right. uh, Larsa shows up and Jaden's like oh let me help you she's like trying to do something to take her mind off the fact that she just completely failed to do what her faith trained her to do and they talk to the survivor of the attack on Thornley Glen and she's this old woman and she sees Larsa and she's like oh how are you Allison Allison it's happening again she keeps calling her Allison so obviously she thinks that Larsa's her sister who is the person in the portrait 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she sees that Larsa has fangs and she freaks out. So the see, look, that's that's see, that's why Larsa never smiles. <laughs> Can't blame her. So the leader of the asylum, a Doctor Trice, he's a member of the Pathfinder Society. Did not like him. <laughs> he was supposed to be kind of like a asshole. On I can't think of a better word. Yeah, <laughs> pardon my language, but that's what he was. I think that he was supposed to be that. He suspects that Larsa is indeed this Allison Kindler. Her name is Allison Kindler. He suspects that Larsa is indeed her daughter, and he wants he wants her and Jaden to deliver this. Uh, a letter and a file that had all stuff about Allison Kindler from her time at that place. Right. Apparently she had spent time there, um, and he just wants to deliver this letter to her, see if they're okay. They have to end mm-hmm. up going to the same place anyway, because Allison lives where Ravascus is, and Larsa is also being charged with going, seeing what's going on there. Why is Ravascus right. attacking random elderly homes here? And, and and honestly, I don't think Larsa was ever actually officially assigned, because remember her writing a, a letter to her grandfather? Being like, this is why I had to go and couldn't inform you. Because in reality, she, for her own reasons, wanted to go figure this out. Right. Uh, part of it was for Raviscus, uh, but uh, another part was to see if this was true about Allison Kindler. None of this was like, if Dr. Trice could not, even though I think he he, he thought he did, uh, could not manipulate her into doing it. She had her own reasons. And even to the point where she essentially did something she knew she might be punished for by her superiors going without being ordered to and without asking permission meanwhile you know um jay dane was pretty much just like i don't want to go back right now to my place i'm afraid of what'll happen there's somebody there who hates me is trying to get me you know pretty much destroy me and everything about me and my reputation and my life so this is an opportunity to her to kind of try to figure things out for her future so that's why she agrees to go um and it's such a fun it's so fun to watch larsa and jay dane just interact at the same time and watching their different perspectives. Larsa will say something, and Jadane would like try to like smooth it over. Well, no, 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 she, what she means is, and trying to, because <laughs> she's just so forthright, and Jadane, uh, and Jadane's trying to like smooth everything over, <laughs> trying to be nice. Jaden was the party face, essentially. <laughs> when Larsa tried to do her diplomacy role, she would always fail horribly, so then Jaden would be like, let <laughs> right, me take right. care, hang on, let me make the role. <laughs> right, right, right. Like I said, Dr. Trice is a member of the Pathfinder Society. He also hires Tashan to come with them. I don't know exactly what his motivation was for that, but he does. Uh, they get a little caravan, and they start, you know, shipping themselves over to... Uh, they're going to one of the cities. I forget if it was Ardis or Cavapesta, um, but they're going that way. That's where Allison Kindler and Ravascus is, so that's their ultimate destination. Uh, along the way, they stop at a... I think it's Artis. I think Cavapestra was the place with the crazy people. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's right. Cavapestra was definitely the crazy people. Along the way, they stop at an inn with, like, a mother, a father, and a son are the only people running it, and they're the only people staying there. And in the night, the kid is killed by a vampire. They wake up, and the kid has got holes in his neck, and the life's been sucked from him. And let's be clear. The people who own the house did not want to have these people staying... But for some stray part of their heart that still felt sympathy, they did just because of how crazy the storm was outside. Which is weird because they own an inn. They're like, we don't want you in our inn. <laughs> right, right. But, um, yeah, they, you know, Jaden wakes up. And she's like, did Larsa do this? Oh, my goodness. Am I traveling with a killer? Right. Larsa freaks out, bursts into Tashan's room, and starts, she breaks his ribs, starts beating the crap yes. out of him. And she, Loved it. Because she thinks Tashan did it. She sent something weird with Tashan earlier. She has, like, this sense where she can kind of feel when undead are near, and that kind of triggered oh, can, near Tashan. Can I tell you how awesome 
the description of her death sense was. Yeah, it was really good. Let me read it because it was just so good. If we haven't stroked this author's ego enough, let me continue to do so. Something still and dark readily rose in the depths of my chest. I cast out with it, sending the dead part of me searching. It swept first towards Tashan. Its thin fingers reached for him, but instantly recoiled, flinching as if from a flame. He didn't show any signs of being a half-blood. An undead slave? A vampire spawn? I wasn't wholly surprised. I searched him for the taint of undeath multiple times since staying the night by the ruined inn. The night I knew I'd sensed death from him. From him, but but maybe not from inside him. Turning slowly, I reached into the shadows of the room. If not him, then what? Some possessing spirit? Some hidden phylactery amid his clothes? The lingering taint of a previous brush with some damned soul? Whatever it was, my theory about Tashan being Tensrae's killer was evaporating. The shadowy fingers reached out through my gaze, blind but lusty, probing but rejecting everything I fixed my sight upon. Then they snared the hookah, grasping, squeezing, seeking what was within. I thought that was such an awesome a, a description of her ability to sense death. I agree. Or the undead, I, I, I should say. She uses that multiple times, and I love the description for it each time. It's so good. It makes me think of like a shadowy, smoky hand slithering across the room like a snake. Inside that hookah was Considine. He's like, all right, you caught me. Haha, <laughs> it was me. Um, <laughs> he hid away in Tashan's um, hookah. He was supposed to keep an eye on Larsa, make sure that she wasn't doing anything stupid. Somehow they knew the letter that she wrote and then burned. He knew about it. I didn't quite get that. I think he must have been near her while it was happening. Like, he has a mist form where he can be invisible. But they, they leave. Jaden's really confused because she has no idea Constantine's there. She thinks Larsa killed the kid. And Larsa doesn't want to give away that there's another vampire with him since Jaden has already shown that she's not willing to bear vampires. She's just kind of, like, making an exception with, with Larsa. And, and Jaden evens, like, my whole religion pretty much disagrees with me. I'm a little more lenient. So she knew if 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 she told Jadane that there was a real vampire with him, she'd probably lose any help she was getting from Jadane. And we should mention, like, Jaden herself says that the faith is split in how to treat Dampiers because there's this weird philosophical question. They're not truly undead. Mm. They're not truly living. Do we hate them because Varadna says we have to hate undead, or do we treat them like, you know, people who have life? Uh, she says right. that she thinks that they are fully deserving of, you know, being normal people. They're not truly undead. Um, and then there's other people, as we'll see, that <laughs> disagree with that completely. Uh, they leave. There's this whole section where they're passing by a monastery, and there's these creepy undead monk things. It really had no bearing on the story. They they never explain it. They talk about these people who have, like, a twisted face. They have a spiral for a face where it looks like somebody... Imagine if you didn't have any features on your face, somebody took a knife and just carved a spiral, and then that didn't heal. That's the way it looked like. The only time they ever mention it again is way at the end, uh, when they're in Allison Kindler's house. She has a bunch of trophies. Like, one would put up different uh, animals you've hunted. They're busts. Uh, and, they, and they come across the, a head uh, mounted on the wall that had that same carving. So it's some creature that can be hunted and that Allison Kindler has killed before, but that's as far as it goes. That is something that got lost. I would really like to explain what the heck that was about. Which I think it's important in an actual, if you're DMing something, to introduce something that is beyond the character's scope. Like, you, the world should be more fleshed out than what the characters interact with. Mm -hmm. I, didn't just, I didn't feel like it was necessary for this story. Because there's like two whole chapters where they're talking about it and then nothing ever becomes of it. 
Right. He didn't de- just like with the relationship with Tush- between Tashan and Considine. There's just he didn't deliver on it. So they, they're continuing to um, Arfis, and they're going to pass by Cavapestra. And Jane's like, okay, so Cavapestra, these are people who like Phrasma so much that like it's all their lives are about, and they're super zealous about it. They hate undead completely. They think Dampiers are an abomination. They're as radical as radical can be. So we're just going to avoid it. We're going to go around Cavapesta. They try to go around Cavapesta, and then like they're traveling in their little wagon. Jaden is at the helm at the moment. And a bunch of uh, phalanx of guards like accost them, and they're like, who are you? What's your name? And she's like, uh, I'm Jaden, whatever. I'm one of you. And they're like, oh, you're Jaden. And then they just beat the crap out of them. They burn Larsa with holy fire, and they take them all captive. Right. Now, at first you're like, why did they do that? That seems super metagamey. They just shouldn't have known Larsa was there. When I read it, I was like, "Yeah, let's let's see some Larsa kick some butt." We haven't seen her kick butt since earlier in the, in the book. Let, okay, wait, what? She just is. What's this? She just covered with fire and then she passes out. What? What happened? <laughs> Larsa, Larsa. At first, I was confused. I was like, "Why did they do? They couldn't have known Larsa was back there. They didn't show any inkling. Right. It wasn't about Larsa. Actually, Mardhalas had sent word to this place, and they were like." Hey, Jaden's a heretic. Go beat her up. Go find out if she is indeed a heretic. I think she's a heretic. Use your own right. judgment. So when she said, like, yeah, my name's Jaden, they were like, oh, it's you. Then they took them captive. They just happened to find Larsa in the back. Um, and they also took Sean captive with La- uh, Jaden. Mm-hmm. So Larsa's in this... Larsa wakes up in this cell that is like a glass cell with light shining from every angle. Yeah, it's like in a big high tower, except it's clear so that the sun can get right on it. There's nothing, no trees to block it. And there, Very clever. There's a creepy old Inquisitor man, like, ooh, you're one of them. He's just being all creepy. He's creeping up on her. Yeah. Uh, he gives her water, but the water was actually a debilitating poison to paralyze her. They did a good job. Uh, they, it's one guy. He did a great job. He did a great job explaining her pain. I thought it was great. Like, I wanted water when I was reading how much she just wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the same guy, you don't know he's the same at first, because there's, like, this kindly old man who's talking to Jaden, and he's like, okay, so Larsa enthralled you, right? And she's like, no, Larsa didn't enthrall me. And she tries to explain her whole backstory, and he's like, mm, okay, so you're a heretic. We're gonna kill <laughs> you. We're gonna go kill Larsa right now. This guy... And all she had said was try to plead for the humanity in Jadane, saying she's not all undead. Yeah. That's all she tried to do. He was ba- Like, this is something I didn't like. When they represent Inquisitors, they're almost like caricatures of Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. I say they as well. When he represented the Inquisitors, it might have been intentional. Maybe this is this is actually probably how, like, the Spanish Inquisition worked. People are zealots, and that's how zealots are. But it was right. almost like a caricature of an Inquisitor. Like, mm, okay, you're a heretic, and you're a heretic, and I'm gonna kill all these heretics. You check the heretic box. <laughs> Uh, so didn't like I think they were also going to kill Tashan just because he was traveling with them, and he's a heretic too. Um, I mentioned this earlier. Casadine shows up and breaks them out. He enthralls a guard, gets him to unlock it, gives them their weapons um, back. You know what else he does? He straight up dominates Jadane. Oh right, I should, that's an important thing to mention. <laughs> you know, it's it's cool because she's like, even though he's helping her escape, she will not stop brandishing her holy symbol, which is one of the few things Constantine is actually afraid of. He's like, come on, just put it down. I'm helping you here. I'm trying to be nice. Please be nice back. And she just kept not back down. He's like, fine. And he just like, almost as like begrudgingly like it's just an inconvenience for him. Just dominated her. 
And they did a good job describing, he did a good job describing that as well. It was like she just saw his eyes, his green eyes, and then everything just became magically green. And later on, when she looked at his eyes and she wasn't dominated, she's like, his eyes aren't even that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the description of the domination. She was like, because they, then Tashan and Constantine run around killing all the Phrasmin, and she's following them, and she's like, they fell away, and they fell into the green of the side of my vision, and I didn't need to pay attention to it anymore because it wasn't mm-hmm. the green. When before, she would have been upset because even though there's zealots and they're going to kill her, she still had this part where I think she didn't get developed, where she's still like, but they're still Phrasmans. <laughs> um, and you see, that's another point I don't like in that, like, Cossadine feels scared of JD, Jaden mm-hmm. uh, and had to dominate her, but oh, all these other Phrasmans that are probably more powerful and more devout than her, let's just mm-hmm. run around, slash, 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 you're dead, you're dead, okay. you're dead. They you make a slightly good point there. <laughs> And I mean, this is where and Tashan just starts. Stabbing. I'll allow it. <laughs> Tashan just starts stabbing people indiscriminately. He was just going with the flow. He's like, "All right, we're breaking out. Stab, <laughs> stab." And that's the one part I did. I felt like I would have made the same decision as Tashan. I, I, I was cool that I didn't see that as bad. I'm like, exactly. You need to get out of here. These people are crazy. They're trying to kill you. You do what you got to do. And you know, his lover's doing it. So why not him? They Larsa gets her canine ripped out by the creepy old guy, which was a, a great a, scene. A great scene. And he uh, has like a he has a necklace almost of all these teeth of different undead creatures he's killed. They get to the door that Lars is being held in, and the old Inquisitor guy he kicks he turns Constantine into smoke because he shoots him in the face with a crossbow. He shoots Tashan. Tashan reaches for alchemist fire while he's down, and he shoots the alchemist fire into Sean's hand, and he lights on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he survives that ordeal. Um, it's up to Jaden to kick his butt she shoots holy fire at him and he's like oh you're a super heretic now you use phrasma against a phrasmin right you're a super heretic <laughs> mega heretic so he hyper heretic he takes his holy symbol and stabs her in the eye and this is like you know heterochromia the number one pc um trait it it wasn't just heterochromia after this she now had a reverse phrasmin symbol in one of her eyes which I, I thought was a little uh, little edgy. Yeah, for a non-edgy character, too. This ended up being a curse on her, where any time now in the future she tried to do anything with Phrasma's symbol or powers granted by Phrasma, she got sick to her stomach. She learned to be able to get over it, and she could still do those powers, but every time she did it, she had to pay a price in being sick. But I have a problem with this. Let me tell you my problem with this is. If you have an eye, and you carve in the reverse symbol of Phrasma... When you look at it, it's the symbol of phrasma. It's the mirror effect. Depending on if you're looking from the eye or at the eye, one way it's backwards and one way it is not. So this reverse thing bothered me. It's not reverse. It's magic. Don't worry about it. To her, it's reverse. To everyone else, it looks like she's really dedicated to phrasma. (laughs) And then she strangles the life out of the guy, which I thought was awesome. Yes, perfect. I liked it too. That section did a very good job making you feel helpless. Is I felt helpless. I felt helpless just like I felt when Jadane was getting uh, mocked by Mart Hollis. I felt helpless then, and I felt helpless here. And it was only Constantine that was, like, the only hope of escaping. Without him, I really felt like they would have been done for. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then Constantine gets, you know, dispatched by one dude in one crossbow bolt after cleaving through an entire rank of threat. All right, we'll go to the next thing. <laughs> but no, no, well, let's talk about this. Constantine is a coward at heart. He cares about himself above all things. He's not going to die to get Larsa out of prison. So he gets shot. He could either take the shot and try to deal with it, 
or he could just dissipate and hide and, and try to live himself. And I think that's what he did, and I thought that was true to his character. I'm just saying why... He, was, he wasn't going to spill his own blood, even though he has none, uh, over someone else. I'm just saying, why did it take, like, 30 guards just for someone <laughs> to finally hit him with something? I'll give you that. Uh, they escaped. I still liked it. I like it when badasses can be badasses. All right, guys, roll initiative. Does it have a weak spot, <laughs> and how many feet away is it from me? Has anything in Pathfinder had a weak spot yet? And while we're on the subject, can a dragon fit in the room we're fighting in? <laughs> well, it depends. Does anyone have Crisco in their equipment list? Yeah, I picked it up. <laughs> Last time we were in town, I grabbed it. Oh, well, yeah, then definitely, absolutely. Well, Kev, I have a question. On my character sheet, it says you gave me half a million gold last episode. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I got that, too. I, I wrote that down. <laughs> if we could not be children for, like, three seconds, I would like that. So pretend that you're having fun for once. But they entertain themselves pretty darn well. I shoot it in the face. Of course you do. Without any diplomacy, it's right in the face. You shoot it. It's a Medusa, you said? Yeah. Yet another copyright infringing, non-original <laughs> character. I, I'd like to roll a sense motive on the DM. The GM, I'm sorry. I don't want to copy copyright. DM, man. We just got to not. Wow. Oh, you want to get us copyright striked? You guys have iTunes here? Obviously, you have Tolkien here, so... <laughs> Tolkien came across and his elves and his dwarves. <laughs> Did you like what you just heard? A couple of guys hanging out, role-playing? That was Trailblazers, our actual play podcast. You can find it every Tuesday, right here on the Trailblazer Network. Hope to see you there. That's it. Rocks fall. Everyone dies. Everyone rolling your character. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to take a lot longer than 10 minutes. They escape. They continue to artists. They get there. They find Allison Kindler. And she's like, I have no idea who you are. I don't even have a daughter. That's funny because I had no idea who she was either. But the author really wanted me to already know who she was. Oh, no. They had mentioned I- it. She she herself, uh, they, men- they mentioned her a lot. They describe her. She is an author. And she used to be an adventurer. She Her books are actually stories about her adventures that she had gone on before. And she's actually quite famous. And it ends up he actually has written other books that has her stories of when she was younger and the things she did. So that's why a lot of the writing, you you get the impression of, like, I feel like I should already know her. Like, the author wants me to already know who she is. It's because he's written stuff about her. Wait, really? Character. Yep. Oh, I had no idea. I didn't. I didn't get. I honestly didn't get that feeling at all. I thought Allison Kindler was like a complete character in here. Like there was obviously okay. more to her story because she's an old lady who used to be an adventurer. But like, I didn't get that feeling much. This is the second work to feature the irrescapable vampire hunter Allison Kindler. The first being the novella Guilty Blood. Let me tell you something. That word I didn't know. Irrescapable. In every single chapter, there was at least one word I didn't know. And I thought about it way too late. I was at the like last 10 chapters. If I had thought at the beginning, I would have written down each word that I didn't know and had to look up. And we could have done like a game here where I'd, I'd say a word and see if you can't figure out what it means by context. <laughs> but he, he has a vocabulary that I do not possess. So Kindler's like, sorry, I don't know who you are. Um, so, but you, you know, you made it all the way here. You can stay in like this guest house. She, Her butler was actually a once noble and they stayed in his house because he couldn't afford to keep the house up anymore. And I did not like how Larsa just always acquiesced to Kindler. That did not seem in Larsa's character to me. And there was moments where she was like, whatever, you're an old lady and you're crazy. But she still just constantly just did whatever Kindler said or wanted. It bothered me so much. 
it might have been like a family old thing. Maybe she really suspected she was her mother, and I don't know. They didn't. If that was the case, he didn't describe it. But you're right. Her her character definitely changes around Kindler. She's a lot more soft spoken. She doesn't did not like it. She does not challenge her anywhere near as much as she challenges literally everything. And there was no reason for it. She truly believed that Kindler wasn't her mother, and she's like, I knew this was a waste of time anyway. It's a good thing I didn't come here just for this. And I think it's because, like, Kindler mostly had the same disposition toward everything. Maybe, like, in fact, maybe even more so. Like, Kindler did not care about anything. She's drinking vodka at 12 a.m. Yeah, she's like, she had a sign that said, uh, no solicitors, if you've read my books, go away. (laughs) No fans. So they go to this side house, and Lars is like, okay, later, losers. I'm going to go check out the poor district so I can find out where all the vampires are here, because I got someone I need to kill and or find out if they're really my father. You know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So she leaves. reveal my daddy issues, B-R-B-T-T-Y-L-A-F-K. So she leaves. She gets approached by this weird woman in robes and strange gem baubles, and she's like, oh, I'll take you to Ravaskis. And Lars is like, is it really that easy? Okay, I'll just follow you then. Follows this lady to a theater in this broken down district of the city, and inside is her father, and he's up on stage making a blood painting of what looks like Allison Kindler. Oh, was it blood? I that's They said his easel, but they said he was only using reds, and they kept saying he was wiping it off on his arm. I thought he was using blood oh that could was, be could be i could be completely wrong he might have actually had like an easel and a little thing of paint but like the way they described it i think they specifically said he stabbed the brush into his arm at one point which is what made me think that even though he doesn't have blood so that wouldn't make sense maybe he was using other people's blood well he had a he had a whole uh theater full of people under his sway right he he's on the stage and there's a bunch of thralls like not people bitten and are vampires but a bunch of humans who are just sitting there on stage watching him and he can suck their blood whenever they want they're completely under his control and he talks to Larsa, and he's like, he, I thought he was a great character. Ravaskis, I loved him. He was pure evil, but he, you, you couldn't tell because he was so nice. And he was I agree. he was very well spoken, and he worded everything perfectly to make him seem like a good guy. He's like, oh, this whole thing about me being a traitor, like, you know, that's overblown. I just think humans and vampires should work together. We shouldn't look at them, you know, they shouldn't be so far below us, I think. They, we should be somewhat more equal, and we should use them more openly instead of hiding behind the scenes, and that's what branded me as a heretic. Which sounds great, but in reality what he's saying is this thing now where we have letting the humans have free will and we work in the shadows to manipulate him sucks. Let's just do it in the open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's actually what he's saying. He makes it sound so nice when in reality it's really the eviler of the two options. I mean, you listen to it, you're like, yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. And then you think about it for a second, and you're like, wait, that would be bad. <laughs> I, would, I would not like that myself, personally. So Lars is really conflicted. He uses a wand, presum- presumably of inflict light wounds to grow her teeth back. Which I was okay with. I would've been, it would have been cool if she never got her teeth back, but, you know, okay. And you know what? She, she got, like, almost like real vampire teeth. It described it as that they were sharper than before, longer. Because she was a vampire, she didn't get the real canines that the vampires get. Meanwhile, while Lars is there... Um... By the way, uh, you know, here also Lars was struggling with, he is not the monster I made him out to be. Right. My whole life I blamed on him. Because she constantly goes back to something her grandfather said was, if you're going to blame somebody for your troubles, blame Raviscus. So in her whole life she repeats that a couple times in the book, and here she's like, this guy? What? 
they made him out to be some heretic rebellious leader of an army he's in pauper's clothes in a rundown city in a rundown section of the city surrounded by his army is a bunch of beggars it just it was completely not what she expected and she was very wooed by his word she thought she was struggling with that just because he spoke so well and later she realized that he was manipulating her so during all this while they're having their little conversation in the theater Jaden and Tashan are called back to Kindler's house and they go to Kindler's, like, shed, where they were keeping the wagon, and they're like, Kindler's like, what is this? And she points, and Considine is stabbed in the chest with a piece of wood. The butler <laughs> saw him and took advantage of the superpower of vampire and stabbed him, so he's paralyzed. It's funny, too, because when they unparalyze him later, he's just, like, continuing his conversation where he was trying to manipulate. He's like, oh, I've just lost my way. Wait, huh, what? What's happening? <laughs> he was just trying to, to smooth talk his way out of it, but it didn't work. But while Tashan's like, no, I love him, don't kill him, um, someone opens the gate to Kindler's big-ass mansion, and, like, a beggar comes through, and he's holding, like, a bl- uh, some sort of weird makeshift cudgel, and mm-hmm. the butler has his crossbow, he's like, hey, g- go away, or I'm going to shoot you, and then the door opens up a little more, and another one comes in. This was one of my favorite scenes. And then another one, and then another one, and all these homeless-looking people with makeshift weapons just start going into the yard, and they just have an all-out brawl with Jaden, Tashan, and uh, the butler, whose name I should really have, because he was actually a cool character. I liked him. thought it was okay. But, like, and- I, I just love that scene, because it just showed, like, the futility of having to fight that many people. They could kill them no problem. They're like, oh, there's another one, there's another one. But then, like, yeah. a glass bottle flies by and knocks someone in the head, and, like, what are you gonna do about that? Right. I mean, there was a point where they got so close, he wasn't even shooting with his bow anymore. He was just hitting with it. And this yeah. is where this is where Jay Dane's doing, I do the ceremonial cut of seven sides. And I'm like, <laughs> but when yeah, they were running away, this is where, um, in, in the midst of running away, like, oh, Kindler, who you have to be smart to have lived this long, like, immediately it's like, I'm going inside. And they're like, what? And he's like, goodbye. Wait, and like, <laughs> she figured out what was happening before anyone else did. And so they were trying to go uh, follow her in there, and that's when they hear the jingle jangle of jewelry, and then a fire, as uh, she, as that lady uh, whose name I can't remember, uses a wand of fireballs and burns Tyshawn up. And Jadane goes over to him, and she's like, "I gotta heal you. I think it's it's not too late." And then he explodes again. The lady shot another one at him just to like <laughs> set it in stone that he's dead. Oh, right. I no, thought that actually, was very... um, she had hidden her holy symbol beneath her clothes because looking at it made her feel sick. And when she went to heal him, she really thought she could do it, but the holy symbol wasn't there. So she had to reach into That's her right. clothes, pull it out, and by that time it was too late, he got shot again. Right. And that really showed the, like, real vicious nature of that lady that really made me, uh, endeared me to her, just to how really just cruel she was. And I just love the idea of, like, this sorceress, this dirty sorceress amongst all mm. these this army of dirty beggars keeping mm. her safe. So Tashan dies. Definitely was a cool scene, yeah. Uh, the butler gets a glass bottle chucked at his head, and he gets knocked out, and then they capture Jaden. They're like, you're coming with us, Allison Kindler. And she's like, fine, but let me get my scarf. <laughs> it's cold out. <laughs> and I love the, the, the lady in black and the jewelry. is like, no, you're coming with us. And that old woman, man, she is just a, a whip. She's like, listen, I'm an old person, and if you would like me to survive the night, you will give me my blanket. Otherwise, I guess I'll just die on the way. <laughs> and the, the lady was just like, fine, you, you go get her thing. And she gets it, and she's like, you don't have to take this. She's actually trying to help Jade, and Allison's like, you don't have to take her. Why would he want with her? It was the one moment of real humanity I was seeing in Kindler at yeah. this point in the book. 
and the bobble lady was like, um, no, we want her. And then Allison was like, okay, you can tell your c- captain, you can tell the person commanding you to piss off. And she activated her cowl, and it was like a cowl of teleportation. She teleported away. I like that scene. I'm with you. That was a cool part of the book. I just, I just love that the guy did not have enough time to reload the crossbow, so he just started hitting people with the butt of the crossbow. Right, right. <laughs> like, it, it was really great description. Like, they were brutalizing these people. And you and, believed it because it's just a bunch of beggars. Yeah, and, like, Jaden's, like, I think she realized she didn't want to do it because she realized that they were being enthralled and that she was yeah. actually, like, hurting people that didn't deserve it, but she had no choice because they were going to kill her. And the author didn't spend nine hours explaining her struggle with, I have to kill people who aren't really in the right minds. It's like he mentioned it, and then, just like in Real Battle, she got over it and she had to do what she had to do. She's like, this is used for disemboweling O-searing mummies. Hi-ya! <laughs> <laughs> so Larsa comes back, uh, frees Considine, and they're like, what happened here? And then that's when they go and talk to Allison, or she goes and talks to Allison, Larsa does, and realizes that Ravascus was completely manipulating her. He was, he was just distracting dis- her. He was distracting her so that they can go do this. Allison's just sitting in her study drinking more alcohol. <laughs> not really. She's like, you're not even concerned about that? And she's like, no, not really. I'm fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, her butler's like bleeding on the porch and she doesn't do anything about right, it. Right, right, right. And this is where we find um, why Kindler was so insistent that they were not sibling uh, uh, related. Kindler had removed her own memories of her own will. There was apparently something so terrible in her past that she decided to not remember it anymore and it got even more uh really moving when she said i've undone i've undone it before matter of fact about 15 times and each time i put the spells back and she says this quote here which i think is one of the best quotes in the whole book something that a whole younger stronger court of myself judged they were better off without that's neat, thinking of a court of your peers, but it's a court of you, yourself. A whole, you made the decision a dozen times over. I don't need to remember this. But uh, they feel that, that to figure out where Raviscus is, they need to undo the memories. And they do. And they find out, we find out the history of Kindler. Which, to me, is not super interesting. I don't care very much for this character, but there's enough that it gives you history of Larsa that I bear with it. I don't know how you felt about this part that's about to come up. I loved Kindler as a character. I thought this backstory was really interesting, actually. Okay. It was a little... It was a little edgy, as is everything with this book. It's high fantasy. It's a high fantasy... Written by a guy who made a high fantasy system, so it's all very high fantasy. But the gist Mm -hmm. of it is, is that Allison's sister, like, was at university at a different city and disappeared. So Allison and her father go to look for her. While Allison is looking for her, she gets tricked by vampires, and they drag her down a hole, and they bring her to the Undercity of... Ustalov. Uh, Ustalov. Or uh, Caliphas, sorry. Oh, right, this was this was in Caliphas. So they, yeah, they, the, main, the capital city of Ustalov. They, they bring her to the Undercity where all the vampires are, and she's like, look, take me, free my sister. And Ravascus is there, and Ravascus is like, I, we can arrange that. You will never see your sister again, but she'll be free and we'll take you instead. And she's like, yes, I'll do that. Yeah, the whole idea was that instead of having to force somebody, she'll be willing. That's the why the vampires did it. So they have this little system. They keep like a bunch of humans in cages in the dark, and they're prisoners for months. Uh, I think it was a, this whole year was a year in total. I forget how long. It was a while. Um, 
and they occasionally Ravaskis occasionally pulls Allison out of her cage. They all occasionally get pulled out of her cage, but Ravaskis pulls Allison out of her cage, and he's like, "Oh, the food they're feeding you is the ashes of royals because they think it will enrich in your blood, and you're part of an experiment. So here, eat this food. I'm going to give you food." And he's really and Larsa doesn't interrupt, but in her head it mentions she's like, "I've never. That's crazy talk. I've never heard of this." And but she she said it was plausible because the vampires were always doing crazy things and there was a bunch of old failed experiments. Yeah, she Larsa does say like it doesn't matter if blood's royal or not, blood is blood. Right. So she she's immediately suspicious of the story, but it goes on. Ravastus occasionally pulls it out of her cell, and he's basically wooing her. Um, mm-hmm. Allison kind of falls in love with them. They make love. Um, Which, by the way. This book does a good job, uh, as we mentioned in our romance episode, of, like, implying intercourse and not, like, describing it outright. Right. But he did almost too good of a job where I was confused. I'm like, wait, did they have intercourse? He didn't make it clear enough to me. Eventually you're like, okay, well, obviously, because she has a kid now. But th- he didn't make it very clear, in my humble opinion. All all the women start talking. They eventually start talking to each other and are like, yeah, this I got taken out of my cage and there was this guy there and we were in this beautiful fountain and we made love and then it all disappeared and it was an illusion. And it was all to trick me. And they're all talking about how they got deceived and Allison is like, oh, wait, I kind of just willingly fell in love with a vampire. <laughs> like, she was kind of <laughs> deceived, but she, like, she's like, I wasn't like grandly wooed with illusions or anything. There was just one vampire that literally I ate out of his hand and made love right. to him. Uh, so she doesn't say anything so that the people don't think that she's, like, a traitor. Mm-hmm. But eventually they all have kids, and all those kids are taken away. And, you know, that kid's obviously Larsa. Mm. Uh, they they wanted the Dampiers. Why did they want Dampiers again? Uh, just because they're more powerful servants than the standard process of, like, like those beggars. That's, like, a normal dumb servant that you just assert your power over. Dampires are more powerful. Right. But then Ravaskis actually, this is like, I think, his moment of goodness. I think he actually had feelings for Allison at the time. And he, Mm -hmm. they were going to release all the women. After their jobs were done, I think they were actually going to kill them? They were going to kill them. They feigned releasing them, but they were going to kill them. Ravaskis takes them and actually kills the two guards that were leading them and frees all of them. Mm -hmm. So that's when it's mixed up, like, is Ravaskis a good guy? Is Ravaskis a bad guy? He basically wants to keep them alive because they're tools, and also because he actually has feelings for Allison. And this is what also kept me going with Kindler's story, who I didn't care about Kindler, because now you understand Ravaskis. This is the real reason why he was uh, is hunted now, because he killed one of his own. He killed two of his own, which is not born in the vampire world. So I, I forget exactly how they find out that Ravaskis is in a bigger theater somewhere else. I think Larsa just figures it out. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, he, well, if he was in one theater, <laughs> he's probably in another theater. <laughs> And, and I want to mention that at this point, uh, we have also heard Lars's backstory. And she has all these cuts all over herself and all these bite marks and scratches. She was used as a feeding bottle. Yeah. Her entire body for when, when she was younger. And she doesn't have it at this point. But the book makes implies that it's up to recent history that she was just a feeding bottle for, less, for uh, bigger vampires than her. And... She's very um, cautious and self-conscious of her scars. Like when she was captured by the people of Cavapesta, they, uh, it's a fantastic pasta. I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> um, it's actually a, it's a green stuff you put on top of bread. I love Cavapesta. Um, <laughs> they, um, 
she mentions without her armor, all her skin was exposed, and she she hated that more than the pain that she was in. She was like, people can see my scars. Uh, something about that really she did not like anyone else to know about. That was a part of her character and her backstory. And I appreciated that because I know you've mentioned a couple times it's like, ooh, it's the dark, edgy thing. I really enjoy dark stories, or at least they have dark twinges. And I thought that was a, a an excellent backstory for her. It really was something really dark. If you really sit there and imagine it, the author did a good job not going into so much detail that you are so skeeved out you don't want to read the book anymore. But if you sit down and imagine what that must have been like, that must have been just terrible. No, like, That's essentially like... That, that's like when you hear a story about, well, they were raped every day for 20 years until somebody came and saved them. That's that kind of story. Right. No, like I said, it's edgy when you take a step back. Like I said, it's presented very well. But in its you know own right, it is edgy. It is the confines mm-hmm. of an edgy story. So, you know, Larsa realizes, like, all right, he was just manipulating me. I should probably go murder Ravascus because he's a huge, huge problem. He's obviously, there's something wrong with him. And she knows that she doesn't. She's not going to have a chance to go back to her masters. If she doesn't come back, Constantine pretty much made it clear, my job is to make sure you do what you said you're going to do. And then she said, and if I don't, you're supposed to take care of me. And he's like, I don't like to define things. So he's like, he's speaking the way he does. But pretty much he communicated to her, yes, I'm going to kill you unless you'd kill Raviscus. And what I was half expecting to happen after the Tashan revelation is for him to say, like, I never had any orders. I was just here to make sure Tashan was safe. But he didn't. Nope. It was just it, nothing ever happened with that. Anyway, th- right. they fought. It was Constantine kind of saw it as his chance. Maybe he can get out of exile. So he's never in in the hundreds of years that he's been in exile. He's never had a, a mission that led him outside of that building he was stuck in. So now he finally had a mission to go out into the world. During all this, Jaden got captured. She's hanging upside down. Ravascus and the Uldefine, or excuse me, Erdefit or Defin. The jingly lady. They're torturing her. Considine is just sitting by. Well, Ravascus isn't. Ravascus is like, you do whatever you want, lady. Um, I might need her. They're examining her, her eye, and they're like, what's up with that? Like, you're you're weird, Jaden. Wow. <laughs> and Considine kind of tries to keep her safe as much as he can, but up to the point where it would affect him. When it, when it finally got to the point where it's like he has to put any skin in the game, he was like, all right, do what you want with Larsa. Uh, with Jaden. Like he did, he did his best up to the point where it would cost him anything. So Jaden's getting tortured. Um, I forget how does she get free again. I know Constantine <sighs> does. Oh wait, he just does it. He just eventually frees her, and he's like, uh, I forget exactly what he said. Like, if you can't overpower her, like you don't deserve to be a vampire. Like she shouldn't be able to hurt you. Oh yeah, that's right. That was funny. <laughs> Talk about whether or not she deserved the power. But Constantine eventually frees her after she gets tortured and has the Phrasman thing carved over her entire face, like kind of like the monks we mentioned. Like, what's up yep. with her eye? The Uldoyfin takes her nail and just carves a big spiral her cheek, over I her. I thought it was her whole face. Well, Could have been. She Me- she carves over her whole face. Meanwhile, Constantine goes away and he goes to back Larsa, and in a scene I really like. He, he he's the guy always playing both ends, and and Jada and even later, or Larsa even later goes on. You didn't do this for me. You did this like you always do. You're playing both ends of the game. Um, so he goes over and he he equips Larsa with a bunch of vampire hunter equipment that um Kindler had had in her basement. 
He's like, I tried to find a dark place to sleep, and then I found this, and I said, I'm not sleeping here. <laughs> so I thought maybe you could use this. And it's like steaks with holy water in it, armor that she was very excited to put on again and cover up her scars, uh, daggers that are specific to stop uh, vampires from turning into mist form, uh, different things to just hunt undead and vampire so she was all equipped and she was like looking at Constantine like you're giving this to me you know I could just kill you right and he's like he was so con- he was so confident that like she was gonna keep him around as an ally at least until Raviscus was dealt with he's like go ahead take it <laughs> but they did the author did a great job uh, transitioning from a scene where they're down in the basement getting re-equipped and it's really like that really cool moment of all right Jane, uh, Lars is back to her full fighting potential. She's all healed up. She's got all of her equipment. She's about to kick some butt. And then they transfer over to um, Jadeane walking through the underground basement storage area of the theater. And so like, it went from describing boxes full of awesome equipment to help Larsa fight to the different props left over from the plays and sneaking through the area trying to fight that uh, the Erdafine. Erdafine. And it was really... I wish I could remember her name. Maybe they never even gave her a name. I don't think they did. And it was cool. Like, at one point, she finds a coffin. And she's like, oh, my goodness. It's Raviscus's coffin. And then she, like, interacts with it. And it's, like, paper mache. She's like, oh, I see what's happening here. And then she's, like, taunting the jewelry lady saying, like, oh, are you practicing for when the girl grows up? You, you, <laughs> I've been a big girl now. You don't need diapers anymore? I uh, should, should mention that um, this is the point. The reason that she's able to fight against this thing is that this is the point where she realizes that she didn't lose her faith. Phorasma didn't lose faith in her. She still has her powers. Just She is cursed that she feels sickened every time she uses it. She realized right. that Phorasma never actually abandoned her. It just makes it, the curse makes it feel like she did. So she can actually right. still command her powers and she can still fight off this uh, thing. So she finds this, uh, you know, a table full of jewelry and stuff, where and this coffin. So where obviously this this creature stays at, and she crawls into the coffin, and she's like using this this like mocking this thing so that it comes over and looks for her, and she bursts out of the coffin and surprises it, and through a little battle she slays this thing, and and what what is a pretty cool battle I think. Yeah, I I like that whole fight. I like Jaden actually being tough and proving herself that she can be a worshiper of Harasma and kill the undead. Definitely. And it was cool. I liked that as a villain, and I thought it was a good end for the villain. They gave you just enough backstory for that villain, since it wasn't a main villain. I think that character was really done perfectly in this book. So after that, Jaden goes to escape. She has to follow, like, a bunch of tunnels. I forget the implication of the tunnels, but she's following tunnels, and she just happens to end up at the same place as Larsa. Larsa, I forget exactly how, she tracks down Ravaskis. She goes to, like, this really big, intricate, beautiful theater. And there is set up for... Which, this confused me. I thought a funeral pyre was the thing that you set on fire to cremate somebody, but he kept calling it something else from aside from a pyre. What do you call it? Funeral buyers. B-I-E-R-S. Another word I had no clue what that meant. But it sounds a lot like pyre. Which is exactly what, you, what he describes as a stand with a corpse or a coffin or casket containing a corpse placed to lie in state or to be carried to the grave. Huh. Well... I guess a lot of grave things have the I-E-R at the end of it. Iyer, pyre, buyer. Good to know. See, he knew so many words I just didn't know. So Larsa finds Ravascus has this intricate, beautiful stage lit up. It's set up with four buyers. Buyers. Um, and each one has one of the paintings over it. Excuse me, there's five of them, actually. Four of them are filled. Um, the right. last one is empty, and it has the po- portrait of Allison above it. The other four are previous people that Allison had adventured with. 
on yes. people that had ended up dying because of Allison's hunt for Ravascus. And yeah, I, ended up all the the adventures she went on weren't just random adventures. A lot of them were were just her hunting Raviscus. And I lo- I love this whole portion of Raviscus's story. He's basically saying that I am in one way the greatest passion of Allison's life. Allison's whole life has been leading to me, and whether or not she actually loves me is irrelevant. I love her, and I'm going to bring her here and show her all this, and either A, she's going to remember me, and she's either going to kill me, or I'm going to kill her, and either way, it's an ending to both of our, one of our stories. Yeah, he's like, if she if she has, if she remembers me, and there's that passion, then, then we can be together, and if not, well, she's already dead, mm-hmm. and I'll just finish her story. As uh, I wish I could wrote down this page, but he says, like, she can live her life. She can go to sleep. She doesn't remember anything, but I don't have that. All I have is cold time to think about what I've lost. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't, have, yep. he doesn't sleep. He's a vampire. All he does is sit there and think about all his mistakes. Right. Which, you know, you can't really empathize him with him because he's super evil. But it, it gave a lot of breath to his character, and I love that whole scene. Yep. Schneider did a good job and a very short amount of pages describing Raviscus. Because you didn't get the whole book to understand his character. You got... The end chapters. The end act, as it were. And he did a good job giving you just what you needed to know. So Lars is like, alright, I'm just gonna have to, like, murder you now, because they, they have their own little conversation, and she realizes that she really wants to kill him. She wants to mm-hmm. go through with what she originally planned. And the corpses weren't really corpses, they were all gas, so Larsa has this really epic fight on the stage with the Allison's previous adventuring friends... Coming to what life was and, with the tongues? He constantly kept describing their tongues. Uh, that's just something that gas have. It's just, it's it's something from gas like abilities gotcha. and their okay. lore. It's just what you. They did a lot of things with tongues. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh right, and Constantine shows up and he's carrying Allison. He he yeah. he kidnapped Allison and brought him her to Rabascus. And Larsa's like again punching herself. He's like, I should have seen it. Of course, Constantine is not on my side. He never is. He's playing both sides. He, again, gave me all the stuff to just distract me so he could kidnap Kindler. So while Lars is distracted with fighting off all the gas, which is a really cool fight scene, I, I love that whole scene. Like, that is such a Definitely. great, like, ending scene in that whole... It Definitely. wasn't really the last scene, but that whole scene in the stage was just epic. Cool. Um, Jaden shows up, and Ravaskis is accosting Allison. He's like, look, look at what you've done. This is your whole life. Your whole life is me. And... He's trying to see if she remembers. And we know at this point that she had all her memory restored. She does remember. But it's, right. it specifically says that Ravascus looks in her eyes and does not see any hint of memori- uh, memorizing him. Or, or or a better way was he didn't see the old Kindler, the person he felt had that passion and love to hunt him down. I thought it was specifically that like he saw that she didn't remember him. He didn't see the memorance, which is what... I thought it was both. Well, definitely, the one's important because she did remember him. She knew exactly what she was, right. but she had such a good poker face, or she truly just despised him so much that he was unable to sense it. Right. Um, Jaden, you know, Considine being this fluctuating thing of power, gets one shot by Jaden. She she just blasts him away with fire, and it's as simple as that. And again, being the coward, he ran away as to not get hurt more. Allison shoots a wand at Ravascus to get him away from her. They end up fighting off all the gas, and then they go, and they have to hunt down Ravascus now, find out where his real coffin is, because it's about to be ba- daytime. Right, and, and he got hurt, 
somewhat in the battle. And he had to run away. He's like, things are ruined. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets blasted the by the wand. Um, Larsa does stab him with a dagger at one point, which doesn't do huge amounts of damage, but definitely um, disorients him because of the whole can't turn to miss thing. Every freaking time that she hurt Raviscus, Raviscus just kept up like, why are you hurting me? Yeah. You're my daughter, and I care about you. And it, and I, even now, I'm not sure if he actually did care about her a little bit or if he was still using her. It was He was just that kind of guy. Considine's able to track Ravaskus. He turns to smoke, and he runs away. And Considine also turns to smoke, and he's able to, like, there's a little tunnel system right, that, that Jaden had uh, discovered. Jaden discovered when she killed Jewelry Person. So Constantine goes there, and um, he had a little owl familiar that, you know, they followed. No. Incorrect. False. What? You were wrong. It was a bat, but it was a bat with, um, what's it called when you're white? Albino? Yeah, albino bat. Oh, I had missed that description. I apologize. Nope. Um, so his little bat familiar, they follow that through the streets. He's going, like, underground. That Lorsa hated completely. She hated that thing so much. <laughs> um, he is in a yet... Uh, oh, right. Allison doesn't come. She just sits in the stage and she's like, I'm done with this. And she just... Yeah, and she just looks at the portrait and then all her dead friends beneath it. Yeah. It's a good contrast between what she saw them in life and then what she had, or at least what Raviscus was trying to say she had done to them. Because there they were all dead, twisted monsters now. <laughs> Double and then, dead. And then in the pictures above was them at their fullest of life. And then right below them, them with the least amount of life. And he had mentioned that one of them, like, actually had a relationship with Allison. And it was like, Larsa, that guy wanted to be your father. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But they, they end up finding... They follow Constantine's bat. He leads them to some, like, broken-down bar. But it had a stage on it, so it was still Ravascus's. You know, he wanted an audience. And they, long story short, they just end up kill. Lars ends up killing him there with Constantine's yep. help. Yep, uh, ended up being... Uh, she used the dagger to hold him in place, and Constantine broke open this the ceiling so that uh, sunlight would come. And while she was holding him, like, he was on top of her, finally deciding to have to kill Larsa because she was just so set on killing him. And she just didn't care, and she did everything she could to just hold him there, and he burned to ashes on top of her. And she was just covered in ashes, buried in his her father's ashes. And that, that that's basically And it. then like a phoenix born from the flame, from the ashes she arose, done with all her past problems. Everything was, if you're going to blame anyone, blame Raviscus. Now he was gone. Now she could be born into a new person who could go on with a purpose other than, I hate my dad, I have to kill him. Which she, Which, what, she struggled oh, with. Right. Which I don't... This wasn't like... This was a whole book about daddy issues. The fact that it was her father... I wouldn't say it was irrelevant, but it could have easily been anyone else. Right. Um, it wasn't just like a daddy issue trope. I know that... Look, we're referencing just our last episode yet again. We're talking about the differences between tropes and stereotypes. Tropes aren't wrong. And so the fact that you still kind of have a trope was fine, but it wasn't overused or terrible or... or you know, because now uh, she's a girl with daddy issues. It's a terrible character. It was done well. And then they just have a short epilogue, and it's talking about, like, that's Larsa's realization. She's like, this has been my whole life, and I kind of feel like an empty husk now. I don't have mm-hmm. purpose. And Jane's like, no, you tell you, that's for you to decide. That's a little purpose of life. And she's all happy because she realizes, like, right. her struggles with Phrasma are now over. Like, she has her own strength to believe in it yeah, now. Yeah, what happened was she went to some of the Order of Phrasma there, and they were just taken aback that somebody had been cursed of their own with this curse. So they took it off of her. Like, this is heresy to have this curse on one of our own. So she was fixed with it, but she still had a faint... Her her, her iris kind of spiraled a little bit. 
So she still had it kind of there. And Larsa was saying, I guess I got to go back. I mean, that's that's my life. And then that's where Jadane was like, you can probably choose your own life now. I mean, maybe you can go do what you want to do. And Considine, he's gone. He, he played both ends. And because the guy played both ends, it didn't matter who won. And he was cool. So he was going to, who knows? I don't think they really told you what he was going to do. His, his last part of the story was, I think, that he took Tayshawn's body. That was the last we heard of him. Right. He's gone now. Um the deal Jade made with him was she was about to kill him. She's like, you either help Larsa now or I'm going to kill you. And he's like, fine. And so that's why he helped <laughs> Larsa. Uh, so we don't really know what would happen to him. I'd love to see him in a further book. Um, he's definitely an interesting guy to throw in to mix things up and to create complications. Yeah, but it ends with them about to go down back to the south. And, and so they could try to figure out what is their future is going to be. And Jade kind of says, My, I'm going to go back to the church. And Larsa's like, back to that church? They literally tried to kill you. And she's like, well, one person did. And I intend on exposing her. And if they still don't believe me, and she holds up a necklace full of teeth, including new ones from the monsters that they had killed. And uh, it, it mentioned specifically the stuff from uh, the lady with all the jewelry. And she goes, I'm going to show them that I'm not as weak as they think they are. And one of the last lines of the book is like, Larsa goes... I recognize those two. And Jadane looks at Larson and says, yeah, so you better behave on our way back. <laughs> There's also the one little scene at the end between, um, I thought it was really important, between Larsa and Allison. Their yes. little epilogue. They have a little conversation yes. and, like, they're, Larsa's awkward and Kindler's trying to act like she doesn't care. And right. she's still being her indifferent self. And they have their awkward little conversation. And she's like, I don't really feel like your mother, you know, and... Larsa's like, I don't really feel like your daughter. And Larsa puts down a wand, and it's the wand that Allison had used to erase her own memories. And mm-hmm. Allison's like, what's this? And Larsa's like, I, I got it recharged. I paid f- f- uh, for the service for you, so if you want to forget those things again, you can do that, and I'm going to be on my way. And Allison honestly seemed hurt by that. Like It was really hard to tell, but I like she kind of like turned around and faced the fireplace after that and kind of said, mm-hmm. all right, farewell. Um, I, it was definitely ambiguous whether or not she was going to use it. Now. Right, and like it was, I think I, it was hard to tell whether Allison like truly didn't care or was trying to say she didn't care because her main thing was that I think actually she didn't say she didn't care. She said that it was too late to be your mother. Like I can't, yeah. I can't be your mother now. You're an adult, and I'm an old woman. It was like the only really scene where I really enjoyed Kindler and her personality, and and there she's like just before she goes, or just before Larsa leaves. Kindler says, you know, um, if you want, you can use my last name. I mean, I'm sure having a last name could be helpful. And if you needed to use one, you can use mine. So essentially saying, you know, that last little part where as, as weird as it is, we're still kind of family. Right. It was definitely, I enjoyed the ending. I thought it was cool. And I wasn't left, as a lot of stories have trouble ending, I wasn't left being like, okay, well, that was useless. <laughs> I thought it was perfect. Uh, Schneider had little moments of like there could be a rebellion stuff but that's not what the book focused on it ended up being like a, a red herring and then the real truth was just Raviscus Kindler, um, Larsa Jadane, that was the real main story and that's what it focused on and the book did that in just the amount of pages it needed to it wasn't overblown in my opinion, there wasn't too much padding uh, and it didn't have to if, if he tried to do some sort of weird rebellion Raviscus against the main vampires I felt like he could not possibly have done it in the pages he had left. He would have to do like a whole other novel or two to cover that. So I'm glad he didn't try to do that, and instead it focused it on Raviscus and the relationship with Kindler, um, Larsa. Right. As the main villain. 
and that's the book. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. Mostly toward the back end is when all the really interesting stuff happened. It was okay in the beginning. The middle part with the whole Cavapista, I hated. I absolutely hated that whole section. It was. I thought it was cool. It was I so disagree. super PC. It had hetero. I liked it. it had heterochromia. It had DMPCs. It had it everything. Neat. I liked it. Had one of the darkest moments, in the, and I liked it. But the, I, I showed Considine, which was neat. I thought the majority of the book was very neat, and I really much enjoyed it, even if only for a cultural study of these areas. So we haven't mentioned it yet, but the entire book rotates between perspectives. Right. Each chapter, every other chapter switches. So Jadane, uh, Larsa Jadane, Larsa Jadane, Larsa Jadane, for the whole book. It never stops that. And the book did a good job right when it ended, one chapter, making you want man i want to i want to continue to hear from larsa's perspective but then when you start reading jadane you continue that and when you get to the end of her chapter you're like i want to continue hearing jadane's perspective then you go back to larsa over the majority in the end i found larsa's uh parts better just because i identify more with her character and people who I, i'm sure who like jadane better are probably more excited about her chapters but i was i i didn't there was a few times i was like all right just give me back to larsa <laughs> <laughs> um but i i actually the, the author did an ama on reddit and I asked the author during the AMA, and we'll put a link to it because there's a bunch of questions asked, and you can read them and find out uh, his answers to them. But I asked him, what made you choose to alternate chapters between two main characters? His answer was, quote, because Larsa and Jidane are equally important characters with equally important perspective and arcs. Doing the whole book from one's perspective would subordinate the other. I also think it'd be tiresome having to deal with all of Larsa's bitterness or all of Jadane's optimism. This is going to sound folksy as hell, but let me tell you about my grandmother's cake. Every year, my grandmother made this awesome birthday cake. Chocolate cake with buttercream frosting and a grid of chocolate stripes. What I found out one year was that the chocolate stripes are baking chocolate and alone are ruin your birthday bitter. Layered with the probably too sweet buttercream, though, it cuts the sweetness and the two work together fantastically. I'm not saying Bloodbound works fantastically. There were times writing it, though, that the switch between chapters was a huge relief. That's enough faith in humanity, or that's enough world-weary pessimism. Taking both in equal portions, though, almost equal, Larsa gets one more chapter than Jadane, I think makes them both work better than they would alone. <laughs> and later on, I asked the same question again, because my question hadn't been answered yet, and I just wanted to put it out there to see if we can get an answer. <laughs> and he responded, he said, That's not how Reddit works, Caitlin. <laughs> I know, I know, listen, I don't use Reddit a lot. I just hit on this a little upstream, I told a charming cake story, you'll love it. And yeah, pretty pleased. <laughs> so I, I I think that was cool. I think he definitely did. There was since the, he was right, pessimism and optimism with the two characters. It was good switching between the two. You might we might have gotten a little um, stagnant hearing or overburdened hearing just one perspective over the over if other all the time. This whole story was Larsa the whole time. I would have hated it probably. <laughs> I would have loved it. Oh my um, goodness! But like it's yeah, the interaction between the two because they were so different. It was just, it was really fun reading. Anytime they both had to interact with somebody together, I loved it. I love seeing the different perspectives of them trying to deal with each other and their and what they thought was the, an annoyance, annoying way the other person acted. Oh, this was a, there was a couple cool things that kind of took in the perspective of the undead that I thought was very interesting. One was uh, this this paragraph talking about when they got to Raviscus's uh, the place where he kept his coffin. By the way, I don't think we mentioned it. The reason coffins are important is because. Um, vampires can draw energy from their coffins and regain life uh, or unlife um, while they lay in them. That's why they're important. It wasn't just a tavern. The boneyard was a box house, something akin to a bar, a brothel, and true to Raviscus's form, a theater. Vampires were all predictable in their own ways. More than once, I'd wonder if imagination was a trait of the living, if new ideas could take in dead ground. In any case, Raviscus never abandoned what he was in life, refusing to venture far from the stage. 
that's interesting to think of undead as not being able to have imagination. Yeah. There there was a point where um, Kindler touched Raviscus, and he kind of like went back. Uh, Larsa said this. I'm sorry, this is a Jadane. That maybe the touch of the living revolted him as much as I expected. Touching a corpse would repel me. That's very interesting to think of as well. You wouldn't want to touch a corpse. I guess corpses don't want to touch the living. Yeah, I mean, they'd be icky. Like, ugh, there's all this stuff flowing underneath. And, Gross. Uh, <laughs> it's all moist. Says Raviscus, the guy who stayed with somebody who he could see their veins. <laughs> well, I mean, they were covered. Oh, yeah, there was a scene where Jadane was getting undressed. Uh, for whatever reason, I think it was the clothes were wet or whatever, and she had to dry them out and get on different clothes. And and it was very interesting. Jadane, who you would imagine is a prude, was doing it in front of everybody. She, like, didn't care. And Larsa, that, like, you'd imagine that's Larsa. But Larsa's the person who would never get dressed in front of everybody because she had the scars. It is the opposite of what you'd expect from both of them. But when Jadane was getting undressed, Larsa was just mad-dogging Tyshawn. Like, are you going to look? Because you best not. You best <laughs> not look. And, and, and end up saying that Tyshawn was a gentleman and didn't even look anyway. He didn't even notice Larsa mad-dogging him. But she was... I guess that would that would have also been a hint to uh, his relationship with Constantine. Oh, At least a yes, small I hint. guess it would have. Yeah, didn't even think of that. A lot of times when he described conversations, I felt they were just so real. There was a, a, a throwaway line where Larsa said something. She snapped back at Jadane, and at the end, she said, "I sounded angrier than I meant to." I have you. Can you think of a conversation where you like want to take words back? You're like, "Oh, that didn't. That came out wrong. That's not the way that was supposed to be." He didn't pretend that all conversations always go the way you want to. He had real mistakes that real people make in their conversations, and that one made a lot of the dialogue interesting to read. He also did a good job skipping boring transitions. You didn't have to hear about their two-hour trek down you know, wilderness way with nothing happening. Uh, when he transferred from chapter 14 to 15, chapter 14 ended with them getting into the, the carriage to, to set off, and 15 started with Larsa saying, They left me on a hill. And then it was just described from there uh, how she had been waiting outside of a town as the party had been inside the town. They didn't describe getting to the town, looking at it, saying with Larsa, you should stay behind. He just skipped to it. He did a similar thing, skipping between chapter 15 and 16. 15 ended with Larsa being very, you know, suspicious of Taishan before they had to figure out the whole thing with Considine. And it ended that, like, he's hiding something and they're around a fire about to go to bed. Chapter 16 starts with somebody saying, if you don't have an invitation, the lead red-plumbed guardsman snapped in his gravelly voice, then you're trespassing. Move along or else. We've immediately skipped any sort of boring thing that happened in between two interesting events. That's the way you need to tell stories, both in-game and in a book. What's that saying? Pathfinder's the only game where 10 minutes of combat takes an hour and an hour of traveling takes 10 minutes? The whole book is well written like that, and I don't feel there's any useless portions with the exception of the weird monk monastery thing. Like, everything feels pertinent to the story. There's there's no section outside of the monk thing where I'm like, why did this happen again? Right, right. Like, can we get to the cool stuff? And there's, there's real reasons for people doing things. There's a part in the book where... Taishan is trying to understand why everyone stays in this land that is cursed by undeath. It had an undead ruler, and the land is completely cursed, and it bears the signs of just, you can't have a land ruled by undead for thousands of years and not have stuff left over. And this was uh, Jadane's answer. Jadane smiled, because this is our ancestors' home. Those who survived the wars had their homeland returned to them to rebuild as best they could. The task was already beyond imagining. The cities were burned, the old kings dead, the land turned but they weren't about to let a few lingering shadows deter them. 
Certainly, you can still feel it in some place, the grave sense, the wrongness. But you can't give in to vague fears, or else it's like the dead still rule. These are our lands, our home. A lot of people live in places that suck, because it's their home. And I think that was just a really realistic way to look at things. And the book is filled with things like that. Another scene that we didn't really come across, uh, talk about mainly, was the scene when Jadane was really figuring out what Larsa was. And there's a part where she says... uh, there's no way you're that old. That would make you more than double my age. She chuckled awkwardly. You couldn't really be more than, what, 20, 22? Time doesn't grip her as tightly as it does us, Miss Lost Rider, Trice explained. There's less for it to cling to, less for the years to strip away. It's a prettier way to put it than I heard before. I examined my hand on the arm of the chair, thin blue veins visible snaking their way through skin a shade I'd only seen on the oldest or sickest humans. You could also say that since death already has a hold on me, it's in no awful rush to collect. <laughs> she was just so full of those kind of statements the whole time. There's a point where, like, the accuser was being all mean when um, Larsa had gotten to get Jadane from her church. And <laughs> when they were leaving, uh, Larsa commented to Jadane, You might want to pray for your sister, at the very least, for them to learn the difference between being faithful and being asses. <laughs> I loved every line of dialogue that dripped out of her mouth. After she had, like, explained to Jadane what she was. Um, and how Jadane was like, oh, it must be weird living like that. It must be terrible. And and she was like, actually, there's all this really cool stuff I can do because I'm a vampire. Uh, despite the burden of her experience, her matter-of-fact tone was utterly detached, like a widow claiming she'll be fine. The only thing that doesn't make my blood a blessing is that your people call it a curse. There's a lot of cool perspective on undeath in this book. From both vampires who are full undead and, and, and people like Larsa who are only half undead. And the people that are getting possessed. and It's just really cool. Uh, exploration into that whole world I thought. Yeah and that's like I said that's my favorite part of the book. It's all very very real representation of how people in these situations feel. Like this is what she thinks about all day. She is a vampire. She has reasons to think of these philosophies and have these beliefs. It doesn't feel like someone from the outside looking in. It really feels like someone who experiences this extolling their experiences. And I like, I know it's hard because in books they describe it, but they do have a picture on the front of Larsa, and I like the way she looks with the long red hair and the awesome black armor and that big brim hat she stole from the first vampire she, or second vampire she killed. And later on, there was a point where uh, when she was getting re-equipped and uh, Considine was like, uh, hey, he goes, I got one more thing for you. And she's like, what's that? Uh, a gun or whatever the heck it was. She just said something offhandedly. He's like, no, no, no. I wouldn't get you that. I know that hats are more your style. And he opens up and it's a brand new hat since she had lost hers when she got in prison. And then she just smiles. All right, final thoughts on the book? Like I said, I, lo- I like the book. I- it does get edgy at portions, but overall I think it's a really good book. I think it's very, very well written. I love the writing style. Like I said, he has an expansive vocabulary that really gives the whole book a big boost. And like I said, even if I didn't enjoy the story, it is such an accurate representation of a Pathfinder world that if I was running a campaign anywhere inside of the, like, near Ustalov in that whole section of the Galorian world, I would definitely pick up one of these books, specifically this one, mm-hmm. and read it just to know how to represent things in a really faithful way that the way that the person who designed the game intended. I loved the book. I liked the dark parts. I liked the uh, edgy stuff. And I liked the author's way of speaking. I, I mentioned the few problems I had with it, a couple threads that didn't really get tied up in the end um, or didn't really seem to have uh, too much of a point. But those were minor parts of the story, not... There weren't big portions of the book devoted to them. So really, all in all, I really enjoyed the book, and I'm very happy I read it. I'm very, I am very—I don't read a lot of books, 
but uh, when I do, it always seems to be uh, fantasy stories about different worlds of games I'm playing. The last book series I read was like a five book series about the StarCraft universe. So it's just, it's always cool when you already have some knowledge of a universe and you walk into it. So I definitely enjoyed it and, and I recommend it. In addition to, uh, we had received a copy of Bloodbound, we also have a copy of another book, Pirate's Prophecy. Uh, this one's not written by the same person. This is written by Chris A. Jackson. Uh, we might be doing a review for this book as well. This book is a continuation. Uh, Chris A. Jackson wrote two other Pathfinder tales, uh, one called Pirate's Honor, one called Pirate's Promise, so it's got to be a continuation in that series. Yeah, it definitely looks like a continuation. It says that one of their secret agent friends uncovers rumors of a new magical weapon in Sheliax that they are planning on using to wipe the nation of Andran off the map that they're going to try and stop. So it sounds interesting. It doesn't have as much uh, detail as the synopsis of Bloodbound on the back, but it's obviously going to be very pirate-themed, which I'm looking forward to. That book was released February 2nd. Uh, this Bloodbound that we reviewed was released December 1st. I see on Amazon you can buy it there, and I'm sure if you go to Tor Publishing's website, they'll have ways for you to get it. So if you guys want to participate in our next book fair, read that book. Uh, if not, you know, you can listen to it anyway. Listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts that, like, review movies and stuff, and I haven't seen the movies. I just enjoy listening to the personalities. Anyway, that'll be the next one, so read ahead for that, and uh, we'll get that next to you. One last special thanks to Diana and Tor Publishing for giving us the opportunity to review these books. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great Pathfinder podcasts, visit our site, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? You can email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening. Hey, Brian, you want to play role-playing games tonight? I can't. My body's trapped in this strange membrane. Wow. Should I take you to a doctor? Nah. It feels really good. Just put my earbuds in. No, that's just wrong. But here at Tales from the Lich, we're all right. When you can't play, listen. TalesFromTheLich.com <sighs> That's just wrong. <laughs>